Hello and welcome to the Open Cloud Infrastructure Podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Sigman, recovering from a cold and international travel. And today is Friday, April 21st, 2023. And this is episode 8 with these topics. Red Hat turns 30. Kubernetes 1.27 is out. And survey says, let someone else manage Kubernetes. Red Hat turns 30. So in the last episode, I gave a nod to Docker turning 10 years old, a mere child compared to Red Hat. Sure, there are many software companies that are 30 years old and older, uh, but only one that cracked the $1 billion revenue mark as an open source software company. Only one that was purchased by IBM for $34 billion. And only one that started essentially as a mail order catalog company slinging Slackware. Yeah, that's how old this company is. Founded by Bob Young in 1993, as ACC, a catalog company, it took only two years for him to merge with Mark Ewing's first Linux distribution he named Red Hat. Where does this silly name come from? Uh, well, I wish it was one of those eye-opening computer history stories, but it really comes down to Cornell University's color. Our color palette, Cornell's primary brand color, is red. And a gifted Red Hat by his grandfather, Maybe, or maybe not. Thankfully, this question has been asked many times. And here's Bob Young in 2006 with his versions. There are three official versions, and you can pick. Uh, the three official versions are uh, that red hats have been a symbol of liberty throughout Western civilization. Slave rebellions, where the, the, the rebels identified each other by their red bandanas that they wore. In the French Revolution, the, the revolutionaries wore their red cockades as they stormed the Bastille. There is a tradition in Western history of, of red being the, the symbol of liberation and, and challenge of authority. Um, version number one. Version number two. Mark Ewing owned a red baseball cap or baseball cap like hat that was actually the if you remember these from pictures of, of sporting teams at the turn of the century that rowing teams all posed with their little team caps on uh, if you remember what those looked like um, and Mark had inherited his grandfather's Cornell lacrosse cap which was red so Mark when he was at university used to name his software projects Red Hat 1, Red Hat 2 just to differentiate them from his friends so of course when he started a Linux project he just named it Red Hat Linux for lack of a better term oh and in the, the front of his uh, um, first version of Linux, his very first manual, which was uh, the Halloween version, is a little introduction of what he was trying to do and a little request that should you be in the Philadelphia area and come across his grandfather's red cap, he would be grateful if you would return it to him because, in fact, that's the only bug to this very day that Red Hat has failed to track down. Version number three is that Mark, when he wore his red cap around uh, Carnegie Mellon, where he went to school, uh, all of his friends who weren't in the, the computer science course and who were having problems with their PCs, you know, they'd say, geez, you know, my PC's not working. And so their other friends who would know Mark said, you should talk to my buddy Mark. They'd say, who's Mark? Mark's the guy in the red hat. So at least among his immediate friends, red hats became synonymous with technical expertise. In 1994, Ewing released Red Hat Linux, and in 1995, Young merged ACC with Ewing's sole proprietor company. 
Only four years later, Red Hat went public as a company with the eighth biggest first day gain in Wall Street history. Hard to believe, but Linux was already a big topic in the mid-90s. People that started their careers are nearing retirement. I walked the halls of Fry's in Campbell, California to pick up a copy of Caldera Linux on floppy disks. There was no shortage of Linux flavors at the time, and the choice got even better over the years. But what made Red Hat the runaway success and doomed other companies that essentially had the same access to source code, the same access to the community, the same access to the market? What happened to Mandriva, Caldera and Turbo Linux that didn't happen to Red Hat? As former Red Hat CEO Jim Whitehurst once said, the real contribution we've made besides open source software has been the enterprise business model. It's obvious now, but it wasn't obvious at the time. End quote. And that's the subscription model that I might add here too. And now in 2023, subscription is the default model for all SaaS offerings and is taking a hold in all of our lives, be it in the seat heating in your BMW, which is an outrage if you ask me, but then again, it's nicer to cry in a BMW than in a Mercedes, your Netflix subscription or any other subscription you have. And by the way, quote, for just media and entertainment offerings, the average number of paid subscriptions per consumer was 12 in 2020, according to CNBC. Kubernetes 1.27 is out, Chill Vibes. Apparently a release with no drama, so it's named Chill Vibes. 1,020 companies and 1,603 individuals contributed to what seems to be the second most important open source project after Linux. So what is new and why should you care? That's the question many attendees of KubeCon and CloudNativeCon Europe 2023 have as well. Taking place in Amsterdam 17th to 21st of April 2023, this is the biggest Kubernetes event in Europe for sure. So what is new and important? Let's start with the image registry. Replacing the old image registry, k8s.gcr.io, with registry.k8s.io, which has been generally available for several months. The Kubernetes project created and runs the registry k8s.io image registry, which is fully controlled by the community. This means that the old registry, k8s.gcr.io, will be frozen and no further images for Kubernetes and related subprojects will be published to the old registry. Next, node log access via Kubernetes API. This feature helps cluster administrators debug issues with services running on nodes by allowing them to query service logs. To use this feature, ensure that node log query feature gate is enabled on that host and that the kubelet configuration options enable system log handler and enable system log query are both set to true. On Linux, we assume that service logs are available via journal D. On Windows, we assume that service logs are available in the application log provider. You can also fetch logs from the slash var slash log and see colon backslash var backslash log directories on Linux and Windows respectively. There's much, much more, actually. You can learn more about the 60 enhancements in the community presentation linked in the show notes or at the Kubernetes website. Survey says, let someone else manage Kubernetes. Publication The New Stack writes, quote, 
According to the State of Kubernetes 2023 survey, 84% of companies prefer to let vendors handle assembling and keeping Kubernetes up to date. People building Kubernetes on their own went from 28% in 2020 to 16% in 2023, according to the survey. That was already low three years ago, but it's more or less dropped by half in the years since. Looking at it from the other direction, 84% of companies don't see value in owning Kubernetes themselves and prefer to let someone else deal with assembling and keeping Kubernetes up to date. End quote. That's probably a reasonable position, because building your own Kubernetes stack from source makes sense for a small number of scenarios, one being actually called on the article, the famous Chick-fil-A example. There are others, the military being one. For example, did you know that F-16 fighter jets run Kubernetes too? But back to the much tastier chicken example, Chick-fil-A runs now tens of thousands of devices, integrated and providing telemetry. For such an operation, it does make sense to build and run it yourself because that's what your business is. You're running and maintaining it yourself. There's not much to outsource because it's actually special to you and its use case. Now, does that mean that 84% of companies should not look at the inner workings of Kubernetes at all? Surely that is not the case. From the famous Kubernetes the hard way, there is still so much to learn that applies to even today's 1.27 release and will be relevant in the years to come. The Kubernetes release cycle will eventually have to slow down so people can catch up. The innovation speed is immense and challenging for many. Like Joe Beta stated, quote, Our goal now, moving forward, is we want Kubernetes to be boring. Good infrastructure is boring. End quote. I'd like to add, infrastructure should not only be boring, but also simple. Is rolling your own Kubernetes ever going to be simple? I don't think so, but when is running something yourself really ever simple? There's complexity in IT operations, and that's why we love doing it. Speaking of complexity, um, back in episode one of the program, I talked about the Christmas meltdown of SWA. And last Tuesday, over 2,000 SWA flights were delayed due to another IT issue. The company blamed, quote, data connection issues resulting from a firewall failure, end quote, putting the responsibility on an external vendor. This ground stop only lasted 17 minutes, so things didn't get as bad as back in December. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your time and check back in two weeks for another episode of Open Cloud Infrastructure. Actually, it will be only one week because um, I was late in delivering this due to travel and uh, illness. If you like this show, recommend it to a friend. Follow me on Mastodon as ssiegman at infosec.exchange. That's S-S-I-E-K-M-A-N-N at infosec.exchange. The music in this program is licensed by Audio Jungle and head over to my YouTube channel where you can check out the installation videos and how I set up my lab. Hop over to YouTube and find me as at OpenCloud Infrastructure. See you soon. <laughs>